this week's parsha is Parshas Yisroi. The Torah tells us about Maimon Har Sinai. Hakadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe Rabbeinu ve'Igbalta es ha'am saviv lemar that you should set boundaries for the people around the mountain of Sinai. Lemar saying, "Hishamru lachem, be careful, beware, alois bahar." to climb up on the mountain, unagaya bekatseyo, or touching its edge, kalanegeya bahar mais yumas. Whoever touches Sinai during Maimon Sinai, if any yid goes and dares go and touches the mountain or even the side of the mountain, the edge of the mountain, mais yumas, he will be struck down immediately. He will die. So there was a mitzvah, there was a tzivoy, there was a commandment that Kral Yisrael should set boundaries. There should be a border around the Harsinai so that no one is able to encroach upon the mountain. And we know three days before Shavuos is called the Shleishes Yimei Hagbalah. These are the three days of Hagbalah, these, border, these borders, the Gavul, the Hagbalah, the separation that Kral was supposed to have from Arsinai took place before Maimon Arsinai, before Kabbalah Satyra. So we call the three days prior to the giving of the Taira, Shloish Esimei Hagbalah. There are many halachic discrepancies Nafkaminas by the fact that these are which we won't go into right now but that's what the name of this three day period is prior to Shavuos we call it Rebbe Chonin Vassarman in a sefer called Kaivitz HaParshius my son Shlomo Zaman got his bar mitzvah present a lot of beautiful svarim, and one of the svarim was a two-volume set called Kaibet Parshas. I never had heard of it, but what they did was cleverly and importantly they took the Torah of Rabbi Hanan from all of the different locations that he wrote it in all of the svarim, and they basically assembled them based on the parshas. So in this week's parsha, I looked up in the sefer, and it says on the pasuk of Igbaltas Ha'am Saviv Ha'har that you're supposed to make sure that the people are standing around the mountain and not coming on the mountain. He asked a very basic question: The tzivoy of Hagbalah took place three days before Mantaira. That's true, but the mitzvah of Hagbalah, when did that happen? When was there an actual tzivoy not to encroach upon the mountains, not to touch the mountain? That was only by Maimed Harsinai itself. If, let's say, two days before Mantaira, I would have gone and snuck past the barricades and touched Harsinai, absolutely nothing would have happened to me. Hakadoshvarchu was mitzav and Moshe three days in advance that when the time of Mantaira comes, make sure that no one goes on the mountain, because if they do, they will die. But the mitzvah of Hagbalah itself was only really chal on Shavuos itself, on the day of Mantera. So Rebbe asks, why do we call it the Shleishes Yimei Hagbalah? Those three days prior to Mantera should better be named Shleishes Yimei 
hafrosha. Because there was one thing that was told three days before Maimon Harsinai that had to be chal right away, that took place right away, and that is that a person is not allowed to be with his wife. You're not allowed to be metame yourself, so don't be with your wife three days prior to Kabbalah Satayra. So those three days that we were commanded, and there was actually a halais of something that was taking place during those three days, was hafrasho, separating from one's wife. Call it the shleisha simei hafrasho. By calling it Shlesh Mehad Bola, it's confusing. It sounds like for three days we weren't allowed to get near the mountain. We have to set that boundary, that border around the mountain already three days in advance. That's not true. The Tzivri was given three days early, but it was only Chal on Shavuos itself. And if that's true, why, says Rebbechanan, does Klal Yisrael call these three important days in advance of Mount Taira Shlesh Mehad Hagbalo? What is the import of the Lashna of Hagbalah to make a gvol and not to encroach the Torah? Is there a deeper significance that we could take for ourselves in our own life from this nomenclature, from the fact that we call this Shleishes Yimei Hagbalah and not Shleishes Yimei Hafrasha? Sir Bochanan says a beautiful chat. And he quotes the Ramban. The Ramban is a very important Ramban to know because it's the Ramban that in the Hakdama to his Sefer Alatayra. He has a long Hakdama and many of the words of his Hakdama is written in beautiful poetry. And Rebbe Chanan takes about four lines of the poetry out to teach us a very important lesson. The Ramban is writing about his own Pirish. If anyone's learned the Pirish of the Ramban Alatayra, so there are many things that are contained in his Pirish. Much of it is understandable by many of us. Difficult, but if we try hard enough, we can understand it. Then there are parts of the Ramban that are simply impossible for most of us to understand because they're Kabbalah. The Ramban quotes Chachmei sometimes uses different ways to describe it, but there are parts that are very esoteric, parts that are very mystical and Kabbalistic, and he quotes concepts that really most of us, if not all of us, really have no clue what they're talking about. Maybe a few people in the whole generation can understand you know, what the Ramban means when he gives us a very deep mystical reason, but most of us we, we take what we can from the Ramban and the rest we sort of leave. And the Ramban writes about his own Kirish the following few lines of poetry. Things that are greater than you, things that are deeper than you're able to understand, they're higher, they, you can't reach them yet. So in that, if that's the case, Al Tidrish, don't even try. Things that are too difficult, if it's a tough issue that you can't really tackle because it's way too deep for you, he's saying leave it. Don't, don't even attempt. Don't even think about those things. Things that are mufla, things that are just too distant, too removed. 
from you. Don't ask about those things. And finally, bimashar shisa is what you have permission to, things that you are able to understand, think about them. When it comes to mystaris, when it comes to hidden mystical things, I may bring it in my commentary, but if you're not holding there, then leave it. Someday, hopefully, we'll be able to get to that madrega of attaining levels of Kabbalah, of Chachme Ha'emes, of Paris Amistar. And at that time, we can go and try to understand it once again. But at this point in our lives, says the Ramban to us, if we don't understand it, don't try, because it's not, it's not up to you at this point to go and try to overreach when you can't. Leave it. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not holding there. Yet. Zakir Bokhanan, this is a very important lesson for us to know. And I believe, says Bokhanan, that that's why the days prior to Shavuos is called by the name of Hagbalah. Hagbalah means to set a distance between yourself and the mountain. Which means that not all Torah is automatically and naturally accessible to us yet. Although many of us may have she'ifas to understand it, Rabbi Hanan says you have to know where you're holding. If I may just throw in my own mushroom, let's say a person goes and he, um, you know, he, he registers, he gets by the computer system and he registers for accounting two before he did accounting one. Okay, so normally I guess the computer is built to immediately reject that. But let's say you do an end run on the computer system and you show up to class and you say, okay, professor, I'm here. And he says, okay, great. Did you take accounting one yet? No. But I, they didn't offer it this semester, so I figured I'll take accounting two and then I'll take accounting one maybe later. They're going to kick you out of class. You need a prerequisite. Before you can get to accounting two, you have to know accounting one. Before you do chem two, you need to know chem one. That's just the way it works. You can't, you can't jump because there are steps that are necessary in order to educate yourself. You can't assume that you know things when you don't. You have to do things in a proper process. That doesn't mean to say that I don't have a shi'ifa to know more than I know today. That's wonderful. But you have to know that it has to go behadraga with dargus. There has to be one step after another step after another step after another step. And if a person wants to right away jump and catapult himself to the highest levels, that's a mistake, says Rebbe Hanum. And that's why the Torah tells us and Chazal incorporate something called Hagbalah. Because when it comes to the Torah itself, even though people might be clamoring to get to the top of the mountain, the Torah says, the You have to stop the people. You have to keep the people at bay and make sure that they are being Mechabal the Torah in the proper hyphen. Not to overreach, not to overextend themselves. Don't try to darshan something that you're not holding in. And that's the importance of Hagbalah. This is a very important insight for us to know because we live in times that are strange times. 
that people are clamoring in a way it's a good thing people are clamoring for deep mysticism not just Jews there's Gayim also Kabbalah you know there's a lot of people that are making a fortune off Kabbalah in Hollywood there are very big you know celebrities that are all into Kabbalah they don't know they're not Jewish, first of all. They don't. They never learned Aleph days. They don't know Chumash Rashi. They don't know Gemara. They don't. But they're already holding by Kabbalah. There are centers of Kabbalah that are teaching very big, deep, mystical things, and they have no clue what's going on. So they make it easy for people to sort of digest whatever it is that they're feeding them. But it's obviously a joke. But that that's a joke for sure. But the problem is that it filters also into our own world. And many people that are not holding by Kabbalah in any which way, and they shouldn't be holding, although they want to, and that's a good thing, to want to reach someday, to understand the Chachmei HaEmes, to understand the deeper spheres and all of these important things, celestial, global, cosmic type of understanding of the Torah. But it's Muslim Imcha. We're not holding there yet. Someday, hopefully, we will hold there. But right now, we're not. So if we're not, we have to understand, be magdal yourself. Try to make a goal for yourself. Understand that there is step-by-step process of learning Torah. First, let me get the basics straight. Let me get the Yudgimel Ikrim. Let me get Chumash Rashi. Let me get Shas. Let me get Bavli, Yerushalmi, Medrash, Sifra, Sifri. Once I'm able to have claimed, to have attained the Torah Hanigla, then and only then maybe I could start on a journey of Torah Hanistar. <clears throat> but to completely say that, well, I'm holding already by Kabbalah and I know all about the spirits and I know all, because I took a book out of the library, there has to be Hagbalah. It's not appropriate. It's not our time yet for doing this. When a person jumps too far, it sometimes fails miserably. There's a step-by-step process. You have to first learn the prerequisites one step at a time, and you have to be magdal yourself. It's good to have the she'ifa to want to know this. Rebbe Chanan says that himself, says, Gevaldik have she'ifas. But you have to do it slowly, methodically, there has to be a cheshven that's done, you have to speak to your abeyim. When you're planning on going to the next step, first make sure that you have the step under it. Because if you jump and you say, well, I'm holding by this and I'm doing chasidus and kabbalah and all of these very high esoterical things and you're not holding there, that's not appropriate. It's not a good thing. That's one you say that we learn from, from Rebbe Chonin in this week's parasha. I want to just take it a step further. The importance of Hagbalah. Halavai, the biggest problem that we should have is Rebbe Chanan's Hagbalah issue. That we want to learn more. That we want to imbibe in deep, mystical concepts of the Torah and we're not holding there. That's one element of Hagbalah that's obviously you know, that's a much more positive Hagbalah. But there's a negative Hagbalah also that needs to be enforced that we have to make sure not to enter, not to encroach upon Harsinai, Kabbalah Satira. And that's why we are stressing the Hagbalah element three days before Mantira. Because the Taira is saying to us another lesson. This is not Rebbe Khanan talking anymore. This is, we'll see, there's a lot of Mekairis to this. 
But there's a very important lesson that when it comes to Kabbalah Satara, you need to be magdal yourself, not from trying, not just from trying to overreach, to learn deeper things that we're not holding by. But sometimes people have to stop themselves from encroaching on the gavol of the Torah because they want to try to say negative things about the Torah or negative things about the Chachmei HaTorah. And for that as well, there's an Indian of Hagbalah, you have to be madbul yourself. Klal Yisrael is expected to enforce boundaries. Don't go near the Torah. Leave the Torah alone. Don't knock the Torah. Don't scorn the Torah. Don't ridicule the Torah. Don't make fun of the Torah. Not the Torah and not the Chachmei Torah. These are things that are sacrosanct, that we have to treat with awe and reverence, and we must not crash the borders. Many times people feel that the mere fact that they're Shemri Tayro Mitzvahs, that they have, you know, a high school yeshiva education, let's say, gives them the right to automatically be a Balabas and say whatever they want about the Torah and about the Midrachamim. And they're, they're a Gavar Rabbah. They have the ability to, to say and criticize and critique everything that's going on with the Torah and with the Gedalim. And the Torah says to us that there's a Moshe Rabbeinu, he stands on the top of the heart. Aaron Akayin has a Mechitza Latzmai. The Kayanim have their own mechitza, and the rest of Klal Yisrael's the Igbaltas are on Saviv. You have to understand that if you are a regular Jew, and we're all regular Jews, Yisrael, we have an obligation to hold back and restrain ourselves. We're not within our rights to criticize the Taira or the Gedalia Taira in any which way. We're not. Big Balta, there's an Indian of Shleishis and Mehagbala. You have to, in advance of Kabbalah Satira, if you want to really be Mechabalatira, you have to understand that I am not in any which way able to impose my opinions upon the Tyra or upon the Derech that Klal Yisrael is being led by Gedalia Hatira. It's a very important lesson. It's not the positive lesson of Agbala of Rabbulchanan, it's the negative side of it. What you should not do, forget about not overreaching of how much power you can learn and the deepness of Clarus and Mister that's for us, but for another time later in life. But the negative side about being able to say our opinions about the Tyra or about the Chachmei Tyra in a negative way, that's something that we have to be very careful not to touch. I found this in a Rambam. There's a Rambam in Hilchas Me'ilo. Parakhas Halacha Ches, it says as follows. Ro'i la'adam l'spainen b'mishpatei ha-tayra ha A person should contemplate the tayra, the laws of the tayra, v'leida saif in yanam kifi and understand them as far as we can humanly comprehend them. V'davar shlo'yimtza lo'yitam v'leida lo'yila if let's say I don't understand something in, in learning so don't let it be cheap don't, I don't understand this Rashi makes no sense the Gemara I have no idea what this Gemara is like I, I don't get it it's like completely ridiculous the Gemara I, 
The Rambam is saying, don't be mile in the Torah. Don't be mile in the Torah. You don't want to try as hard as you can, but once you come to a certain point and you don't get it, leave it alone. But don't undermine it. And listen to the Russian that the Rambam uses. Val yeras Hashem. And don't trample to go and try to go up to Hashem, meaning to climb the mountain, Harsinai, Pen Yifritzpai. Because there might be an outbreak against you if you should try that. Don't allow your mind to be cynical like it is with other things. A lot of times people say, you know, this chem, I don't get it. It's just physics. It's crazy. I don't get it. So you don't get it. Okay, so don't. So if you want to make fun of it, you want to say it's ridiculous, you want to say it's impossible, fine. When it comes to the Torah, the Rambam says, be very, very careful of what you do. When you speak in any way in a negative connotation about the Torah, then that's Bechlal Hagbalah. The Rambam is quoting from Sukkimir in our parasha. That you have to be careful. Don't trample going up, making a, like a, a run for the top of our Sinai to be king of the mountain. To try to basically undermine the Torah, pen by because there could be a terrible outbreak, a terrible consequence to that. The Rambam is saying this in Hilchas Me'ilo because a lot of times people are mayo in the Torah, and we have to be very, very careful. The Torah is kaddish. The Torah is holy. The Torah is something that we have to be in awe and reverence of, and not in any way breach. Not the Torah and not the Chachmeya Torah. There's a, a letter that the Chavetz Chaim wrote to a, a doctor. There was a Jewish medical conference that was scheduled to convene in Vilna. And one of the things on their agenda, these Jewish doctors getting together, was ways to impose certain mandatory regulations upon the yeshivas. The yeshivas throughout Europe, throughout Eastern Europe, maybe Western Europe, you know, had certain issues that these doctors, for whatever their intent was, I'm not, we're not here to impugn them and to say that they had malicious intent, but what they did was they decided in their conference they were going to have as part of the itinerary on this weekend conference, they were going to discuss and impose certain changes in the yeshivas. Maybe the yeshivas are overcrowded, maybe the nutritional meals that are being offered in the yeshivas are not, are not good enough, um, perhaps uh, the boys aren't getting enough sleep, maybe they're learning too many hours of the day. So these doctors, these balabatim, they decided that as part of their convention, they're going to tackle this all-important issue of health in yeshivas. The matter was considered to be a very gross encroachment upon the authority of the Rosh Yeshivas of the time. Now, they might have been well-intentioned, but the Rosh Yeshivas of the time were Gedele Yisrael, as they always are, and, you know, people like the Chavetz Chaim, people like Rav Shimon Shkop, people like the Talzer Rav, people like, uh, you know, you go to Rav Baruch Ber and Rav Chaim, and all the great Gedele Yisrael they knew it was good for their Talmudim and they were on top of things, but these doctors wanted to sort of meddle into the, into the daily schedule of the yeshiva, the Sidre yeshiva, 
the all of the the various things that are part and parcel of the seder ayem of yeshiva, and the gedayim were very upset, and they went to the chavetz chaim. They said, "You have to do something about it. this. Is ridiculous." So the chavetz chaim sat down and penned a letter to the head of this conference, a certain very prominent doctor by the name of Doctor Shway. And he wrote the following, it's a short letter, I'll just read it to you, and the P.S. is the, that's the, that's the punchline of the letters. You have to just wait until the punchline. To my esteemed friend, the wise Dr. Tzemach Shwey, this is the Chavetz Chaim writing. I was told of the medical conference soon to take place, which you will be heading. My best wishes go out to you. May the healer of his nation's infirm bestow his heavenly assistance and blessing upon you. It is my understanding that the condition of the yeshivas is of great interest to you. I hereby report that, Baruch Hashem, the state of the yeshivas is good and sound. The students are receiving all their needs. Meals are being served to them three times a day. For two hours a day they are free to keep fit. The boys are all healthy. I am certain that you will be most pleased by this information. From your friend who respects you and honors you in accordance with your exalted status, Yisrael Meir Hakain. And here's the P.S. I would like to remind your honor of the verse in the Torah, and it's in this week's parsha. Whoever touches the mountain upon which the Torah was to be given shall surely die. The Chavetz Chaim says, if the danger facing one who touches the mountain is such, how much more so if one dares to touch the Torah itself? The Chavetz Chaim is giving a very brilliant, I mean, he didn't say it, he didn't come, sometimes you have to know how to write a letter. He wrote a letter, very nice, very bakavidic, very, you know, giving all the proper kavid. He didn't like right away come out swinging. But the PS was like, you know, about the real kavana of the letter. My father, Lovashalom, used to always say that when you want to know what somebody, sometimes somebody's calling you out of the blue, and like, you know, and you don't know what he really wants or what she really wants. And like, so it's just wait for the end of the conversation. That's what they want. The main line, the main, the punchline, the bottom line is at the end. Just, you know, they're going to say all types of, how you doing? And how, oh, I miss you a bit. And then, like, just wait till the end. And that's what the point of the call was. The Chavetz Chaim is writing at the end of the call, at the end of this letter, be very, very careful. With all due respect, I'm sure you have the best of intentions. But you have to be very careful when you're touching the, even the mountain that the Torah is given, some inanimate object. Har Sinai, what's Har Sinai today? You go into the Sinai Desert, they have no idea, you know, even which mountain Har Sinai was. There's a, you know, I think the Dayim think it's a certain mountain, they built the church on top of it, but it's probably not Har Sinai. We don't know where, it, and it doesn't matter to us. We're not looking to build a shul on Har Sinai. Har Sinai today has no Kedusha. As soon as the Tyre was given, Har Sinai just became another mountain like all other mountains in the Sinai Desert. At the time that the Torah was given, it had a Kedusha. We couldn't touch it. After the Torah was given, right away, the Tzayin and the Bakr could go and graze on Harsinai as soon as the Torah was finished being given on it. There's no Kedusha to Harsinai itself. But if Harsinai itself has Kedusha, Bashas Mount Tyre, an inanimate object, that if you touch Harsinai by the Mount Tyre, you're going to die, Alakas Kamba, the Kamba says, the danger involved in touching the Torah itself. 
how often it is that people feel comfortable saying things negative about the Torah. I don't understand it, it's archaic, doesn't, doesn't apply anymore today, it doesn't speak to me, it doesn't speak to the generation, all the things that we hear all the time. And those are the good things. And then, to take it a step further, the G'dayli Yisrael. How often do people say negative things about G'dayli Yisrael? People knock G'daylem and say, oh, this guy's that, and he's not that, and he's too much that, he's a radical, he's a... People mamish speak about G'daylem like they are the worst of the worst. And that is a tremendously dangerous, it's disgusting, but it's also tremendously dangerous. Because, If you touch the mountain, you're going to die. To touch the embodiment of Tyra itself, G'daylem Yisrael. In case you're wondering exactly what I'm talking about, I don't think it's a secret that there are blogs on the internet. And, you know, sometimes, especially when I was researching, you know, my svarim over the summers, um, and there's svarim about the daily Israel, so sometimes, you know, if you want to... The internet is great for certain things. If you want to like find a certain story that you heard once, you don't know where it is. So you Google it. So you put in a Google's name and you Google it. And you know, and sometimes you're lucky you're able to find it. But sometimes I found that there was a terrible pattern developing that you put in Gedalim's names into the internet, whether it's contemporary Gedalim or past Gedalim, and there are websites, there are blogs that speak in the most vile ways about these G'daylem. Things that you wouldn't even, you know, be allowed to think these people are saying, and it's there for all time. You never really take it off. Once it's up, it's up. There are websites that are simply dedicated to doing nothing else but trashing G'daylem Israel. And the most, you, you know, when you finish reading these, you mamish are convinced that these G'daylem are the worst people in the world. They took the finest that we have, the greatest that we have, and they cheapened them to the degree that, you know, they're unrecognizable. Why do they do this? And every person has their own reason. Some people, you know, had a bad experience when they were growing up, and, you know, they went off the derech, and now they're, they're back with a vengeance. And some people just, the chlau want to undermine the Torah. There are many, I speak about this sometimes, there are... You know, over the years we've had Baruch Hashem, not many, but we've had Talmidim that come over to me and they their brains are completely fried against the Torah. They do not want to learn. They don't believe anymore in anything. And I said, like, where did this come from? Where, you know, what? And after, like, coaxing them a little bit and, you know, and getting it, it you know, scratching a little bit, they all, Kulam Ke'echad, say the same thing. We went on the internet, and we found a certain blog, we found a certain website, and it started bringing up really good issues in our minds, things that we never thought about, and questions on Amunah, and questions on Hanashkafa, and questions on Gedalim, and questions on, on Bastaira. And the more we read, and the more we were able to, you know, to fill our tanks up with this stuff, we, you know, I don't know anymore. There's very little on the internet that's more damaging to a Jewish soul than those websites. There's a lot on the internet that's very damaging, as we know. 
But in my humble opinion, the worst thing to a Jewish neshama, far worse than the things that everyone else is talking about on the internet, which are also obviously terribly problematic, as we know. But the kfira and the minus and the zilzal, the cheapening of taira, the gedele taira, das taira, there is nothing more practically devastating for a Jewish soul than to read this stuff. And the Torah tells us in this week's parasha, "Vigvalta esa am You have to make sure to set up boundaries. You are not allowed to encroach upon the mountain. The Torah has to remain pure and whole, and you're not allowed in any which way to adulterate the Torah and to profane the Torah and to undermine the Torah. You can't touch the mountain. The doctors, at least, were trying to do something ostensibly positive for the Bachman. But these people on the internet are trying to wage war and to destroy every fiber of Amuna and Kavid that we have for Tyra and Gedele Tyra. And we have to realize how important it is to not read these websites, not look at them. There are, it's Tame Tame Yikra. It's the worst thing when sometimes it's written by a rabbi and they use even, you know, Hebrew, they intersperse with Hebrew and Gemaris and it looks really good. It's the most dangerous thing in the world. There is very little that you could look at on the internet that is more damaging for your future as a Ben Tyra. We have lost, Baruch Hashem again, not many, but there are many guys that were very from guys in yeshiva, wonderful Bnei Tyra, amazing Talmudim that they started looking at this stuff and they just could not get it out of their minds. And they wanted to be intellectually honest and all of the all the good kavanas, but at the end of the day, it torpedoed their amunah and their bitachan and they have nothing left. Shloy is a time that you have to be magbalahar. You have to make sure to set up boundaries to understand that the Torah is the Torah. There's Maisha, there's Aaron, there's Kayhan, and then there's me. And I have no right, I'm just a spectator, I'm here, obviously, to learn the Torah, to love the Torah, to be mechabed the Torah, to live the Torah, but I don't have the right to touch the Torah. I don't have the right to affect the Torah, and certainly to say any negative comments about the Torah or about the G'dayle Torah. I had a mashkiach in high school, um, his name was Abirucham Pitter. And it was in Long Beach Yeshiva. And, um, and he used to say that when he was a, a Bachar, he went around, he was learning in Lakewood and they Spanish Kabayat. And it was the 1970s. Lakewood then was not what it is today. Today, Lakewood is Baruch Hashem and Irvain Bisrael. It's a huge, beautiful, thriving metropolis. Then it was like a little yeshiva with, you know, maybe 100, 200 bachrim. And, you know, they're living in very simple quarters, very, you know, not fancy. And the yeshiva needed a lot of money. As all yeshivas need money. So he volunteered in the summer during Ben Azmanim to go to Chicago to collect money on behalf of Lakewood. And it was a sweltering hot summer in Chicago and he was going door to door and finally he was almost at the end of his trip and somebody said you know there's one more house over there it's a big mansion and 
you know, the guy is not really from, but, you know, maybe try and get some money out of him. So he went, he knocks on the door of this big house. He wasn't sure whether anyone even heard him. It was such a big, you know, mansion. And a woman, an old woman, answers the door, and she was very nice to him. She said, you know, what's your name and what are you here for? He said, I'd like to speak to your husband. So she says, sure, and she sits him down in a very beautiful living room area with fancy paintings on the wall, and he sits down on, the, on like a sofa, and there was a coffee table there. And he noticed what appeared to be Sarim, but he didn't recognize the, you know, the author's names. It was like these nice leather-bound books, but he was expecting to see a you know, a Meshachachma, or a, you know, a Chavetz Chaim, or a Mishnaburah, but it wasn't any of the normal, it was written in Hebrew, but he didn't recognize the names. And then a few minutes later, comes into the room a person, he says he looks, he looked a little bit like Albert Einstein, like a, no yarmulke, but like a big bush of white hair, an old man, and he comes and he says, how are you, and what's your name? He says, my name is, uh, you know, Yeruchim Pitter, he says, what's your name? Whatever his name was. And he says, uh, he says, what can I do for you? He says, um, I'm here on behalf of Yeshiva in Lakewood. Yeshiva was founded by Aaron Kotler. Maybe you heard of him. He says, no, I never heard of him. So he says, uh, okay. You know, he says, well, Yeshiva needs money very badly. He says, he says, you know, when I was young, this man says, I myself also was in a yeshiva. He says, but you uh, you probably never heard of it. He says, well, what's the name of the yeshiva? No, you never. He says, I was a young boy. I was like 12, 14, and I was, you know, very, very bright. And the tutor that my father hired to learn with me, he says, he's too advanced for me. I can't, uh, I have nothing else to teach him. Send him to yeshiva in Baranovich. You never, you're an American boy. He says, of course I heard of Baranovich. Everybody heard of Baranovich. He says, nah, whatever. He just like completely says, the Rashiba's name, and, and Peter says, Baruch Ber Leibowitz. He says, you know about Baruch Ber Leibowitz. How do you know about Baruch Ber? What does an American boy know about Baruch Ber? Rebuchanan. So, so it's actually Baruch Ber, so it was in Kaminitz. Excuse me. Thank you, man. Um, it was in Kaminitz. It was in Kaminitz. It was Baruch Ber. He says, what do you know from Baruch Ber? He says, yeah, of course, the Baruch Ber, he was a great goggle. He says, um, so, Rebuchan, so he says, how do you know Baruch Ber? He says, what are you talking about? We, want, we study his Torah in Yeshiva. We know his Torah very well. He says, no, they never published his Torah. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, so Rebuchan understood that this guy was completely like, you know, he was lost for like decades and decades and decades. He had no track of what was going on anymore. He says, I remember one time a Rebbe didn't know a Pshad in a Tysis, and he took a trip to visit his Rebbe. So Rapita says, he went to Reb Chaim? says, yeah, how do you know that? He says, everybody knows Reb Chaim Brisker, Baruch Rebbe. So he says, he says, yeah. He says, um, you know, and he came back after a few days and he was beaming the Baruch was beaming. He had such like nacha. He learned so much. He had this chiddush from Reb Chaim that he was sharing with us on the sugya of Gittin and Gittin. And he started talking about the sugya and Gittin as if it was yesterday. 
is a brilliant man. So, Peter says, so what happened? He says, one time, in fact, I was going home for the summer, and I asked Rebbe Bar to give me a letter, like a report card, to give my father Lil Nachas. And he, he wrote on that letter to my father that your son is a Gain and Ha'asid Leah is double be Israel. In the future, he's going to be a great leader of Pal Yisrael. So Peter says to him, No, so what happened? Well, what's the end of the story already? And this man looks at Peter and he said, See those books there on the table? He says, That's what happened to me. He says, Those are books of Haskalah. The Haskalah movement was very strong. Haskalah was a movement in Europe of enlightened quote-unquote Jews that were not into the classical understanding of Tyrish about Pez. We have it, but they wanted, they were into other things, and they were into diktuk, and they were into history, and, and other things, culture, but they weren't into Tyra itself, Limana Tyra itself. They were into poetry, they were into theater, they were into all different types of things, but not Limana Tyra itself. And I, with my brilliant mind, started getting into these books and reading them and imbibing them and taking them in and I didn't want to go back to yeshiva anymore and that's what happened to me and he gave Rapiter like a little check for the yeshiva and he sent him on his way and Rapiter used to say this is what could happen you know just a little a little mashing here and there from things that we can't that we're not supposed to look at and it completely takes away somebody that Rebaruch Bear said about that he's Asaliyah's Gadol Yisrael. And we lost the Gadol because of that. The Chavitz Chaim himself used to be Makir type to a certain Yid in a certain small town. Because the Chavitz Chaim was a very brilliant young man. He was very brilliant. People look at the Chavitz Chaim as a tzaddik but they don't know as big of a tzaddik as, as the Chavetz Chaim was. He was a much greater Eloi. And the Chavetz Chaim was, whenever the Maskilim would find like a young boy who was very smart, they were all over him. They wanted to like lure him to their team. And there was this Maskil that was spending a lot of time schmoozing with the Chavetz Chaim and trying to, you know, a young Chavetz Chaim, maybe 12 years old, and trying to like inculcate into him these Haskalish ideas. And the Chavetz Chaim said about himself that I was taking it in. I was like, you know, it was interesting to me. With my mind, I, was, I wanted to, you know, take it in. And there was a Yid that was living in that city that knew me a little bit, and he saw what was happening to me. And he gives me a ticket, and he says, go and go far away. Take, go to another town on the other side of the country and learn until you're there, but get away from this masculine. And the Chavetz Chaim was always eternally grateful to that Yid because he says, were it not for him, I probably would have been a big masculine today. Even the Chavetz Chaim. If these are great people with great, brilliant minds, holy people, and upon them, it's possible to say that they could have been taken away by Haskalah, what are we going to say? Do we think that we're greater than the Chavetz Chaim, that our minds are greater, our hearts are greater, our neshamas are greater, that we're able to constantly read and look at and mash from all of the Kfira and the Minas and the Zilzal 
Hatayra that's on the internet, that's in the blogs, and pretend as if it's not going to make a Rishim on us? Obviously, it's impossible. If the Askala was strong, then this is the Askala of today. You have to make a gvul for yourself. You have to say to yourself, I don't want to look at these things. I will not look at these things. I cannot encroach upon the Tyra Akihuzeh. Rav Gifter says a beautiful vart. I saw it once in a Pirish on Zmiris. The, the, the Zemmer says, I don't know if it's a Zemmer that's popular in Yeshiva, but there's a Zemmer that says, Kashayshana Suga. It's in a Zemmer called Lisanig Bisanugim. I don't know if anyone uh, knows any Nugunim. I grew up as a kid at, in my house. My father used to sing this every single Shabbos. There's a Yakisha Nigan that's uh, used for that Zemmer. I could teach it to you if you're interested. Um, but it's. The, it says in one of those charuzim, in one of those paragraphs, in one of the the um, the lines of that zemer, kashayshanim suga. That it's it's talking about Shabbos, but Shirashirim really uses the pasuk saiga bashayshanim, which means that it's sort of surrounded by a hedge of roses. Shabbos is surrounded by a hedge of roses. What does that mean? A hedge of roses. A, a rose bush is a very nice bush. What does it mean that Shabbos is surrounded by a hedge of roses? So if Gifter says like this, if let's say there's a rose bush, and let's say you know you want to play a game of baseball, and you have to get by that hedge of roses in order to get onto the baseball field. So what would you do? So a lot of people, if you don't appreciate a rose, so and you're not afraid of the thorns, let's say, You'll just very simply stomp right on top of the rose bush and trample it. It's not a big deal. I want to get to play base. I don't want to walk all around the block. So I'll, I'll take my boots and I'll walk right on top of the hedge of roses. And maybe I'll kill a couple of roses. Maybe I'll kill the bush. I don't care. I want to go play baseball. Why would a person not do that? The only reason why a person would not trample on a rose bush is somebody that appreciates the beauty of a rose. If you appreciate the beauty of a rose, you wouldn't dare trample on a rose bush. It's too beautiful. I don't want to ruin the rose, the rose bush. I don't want to ruin a rose. Beautiful flower. Rav Gifter says that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is something that it's very easy to trample on Shabbos. Is it very difficult on Shabbos to turn on a light switch? Is it very difficult on Shabbos to, to light up a cigarette? Is it difficult on Shabbos to get into a car and drive somewhere? It's not difficult. It's very easy. But it's only easy if you don't appreciate the beauty of Shabbos. If a person appreciates the beauty of Shabbos, I would venture to say, if I would offer anyone in the room a million dollars cash, if on Shabbos, you know, if you light up a cigarette on Shabbos, I'll give you a million dollars. Nobody would take me up on that offer. Nobody. Why? I need a million dollars, but I appreciate the beauty of Shabbos so much. Shabbos is such a beautiful thing, I would never want to trample on it, because Baruch Hashem, we have a, we're mechunach, we're educated to know that Shabbos is beautiful. If a person doesn't have that appreciation for Shabbos, they'll trample on it, big deal. 
Shabbos. The same thing is true with Tyra. Tyra is also a sugar Shayshanim. It's also surrounded by, I could trample on Tyra, nothing stopping. Who wouldn't trample on Tyra? Only somebody that has an innate love for Tyra, that appreciates the Tyra. He is a person that would never say anything bad about the Tyra. That would never say anything about, bad about a God of Israel. That would revere and respect and hold them in the highest of esteem. That's what we have to be. We have to be the hedge of roses. We have to look at Tyra as something that is so beautiful, so gorgeous, so important, so divine, that we never would touch it. We would never impose our own day upon the Tyra. We would never say anything negative. Not about it and not about the people that embody it. Tamidi Chachamim, people that learn in Cairo. Rabbeim, Rabbonim, Rebbes, Rosh Hashivas. Not speaking bad about a Rebbe. Not speaking bad about a Rosh Hashiva. I'm not speaking bad about a Gadol. Bad at Hamachach. How could I? They're so beautiful. The Torah is so sweet and so geschmack and so amazing. I can't trample upon it. So we have to be very careful. Be Balta Sahar, you have to surround the mountain and be a gavol around the mountain. Make sure that there's a border, make sure that there's a hedge of roses that you will not trample upon it. Look at the Tyra as being such a beautiful, delicate item that I will not do anything against it. But one step more than that, there's a Meshachachma that says a beautiful Yisaid on this parsha, on this pastor. Be Balta Sahar. The Meshach Hachma says, when it says Lashon Big Bautah, doesn't mean just to make a, a boundary around the mountain. Big Bautah Esa'am Saviv. The Am itself is the Gvol. The nation itself forms the boundary. It's not that there were some police barricades around Mountain Taira. The Am itself, wherever we were standing, we were the fence. We were the ones that were protecting Harsinai from anyone encroaching. That Kedusha that we had, we were like the walls of the Mishkan, he says, like the walls of the Hekel. That's what Kval Yisrael was at Mantaira. We seeped in the Kedusha. We became for all times holy people from the fact that we were the borders itself of the base of the of Mantaira. And I believe what the Meshachachma means to say is that we ourselves are constantly charged as being the border patrol for the Tyra. Which means that not only should we not look at those websites and those blogs, and not only should we never ourselves in any way undermine or joke about or mock the Tyra of Achachmea Tyra, that's a given. I think looking around the room, there's not a single person that would even remotely think about doing that. But there's another important element to this mitzvah of Hagbalah, that we ourselves are the Gavol. We ourselves are the border patrol. We have to make sure ourselves to make sure that others never do it. We have to stop the people from crashing the barriers and the barricades and going up on that mountain. We have to be there to stop them. I'll just give one muscle. It's a very shracha marshal, but it's just something that happened to me. I was davening when I don't daven here in yeshiva, like in the summers, 
So I dive in another shul in town, which should be a shul, shall remain nameless. And I dive in generally in the Ashkama Minyan. And the minig of the Ashkama Minyan there is that they have, um, at the end of davening for like five minutes, there's like a rotation. And they, the Gabbai asks like a week before for somebody to give a five minute Vartaira. Not a rough, just anyone that's davening there. Some weeks it's, you know, I've, I've done it many times, and other people, you know, as well. And there's like a five minute rule if, like, if you go five minutes over, there's like a chapter under you that they open up and you fall into, you know, you're gone. You have to make sure to finish it within five minutes. That's the one tonight that they give you. So, so there was this person that was, um, that was giving his five minute talk. And I don't want to give too many details about this particular person, but he was saying the most vile things that I've ever heard a person say in a, in a base matter about the daily Israel. Speaking about Eretz Yisrael and about you know people going to you know going to the army and uh, you know not working and like so people Balabatim speak about that maybe in their living rooms, but I never hear people in Shul Barabim speak about it in such a vile way. And here I was in a little bit of a quandary because, you know, I didn't know what to do. The smoke was coming out of my ears. I really wanted to do something. And my natural instinct was probably to get up and make a real macha. But, you know, people don't understand that. Like in America, you can't, you know, in Israel, everything is a macha and afkana. Like that's, that's part of, that's like breakfast. But, you know, in America, if you start making macha, you become mashugana, and then, then you're ostracized from town, and, you know, and uh, people start saying that you're not, and you're, you're crazy, and whatever. But Mitzat Shani, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, like, just let it go. And so, what I did was, I made a pshara. I couldn't sit through this nonsense, and I couldn't scream. So I slammed shut my sitter nicely, and, um, and I got up, like, from what you, you know, like I, I got up and I and I I tramped I, I, I stomped out of there like a soldier. And you know, and word got around like the Rav of the Shul was a very big tzaddik and a very chash of a year, like he he gave me such a big ashrakaya, you know, people that that are you know, people that get it, they get it. Then there's some people that felt it was wrong, it was rude, it was this, it could have been done in a more finer way. But the point is that sometimes in life you have to make a machal. Sometimes in life it's not enough just for yourself to, you know, to protect yourself and your little enclave of, of, you know, of, of your family and, you know, but from, from the blogs and from the this and from the people that are saying bad but you have to actually be the gvul itself. They bow talk. You have a cheft, so you're the cheft of the gvul. If you're a Ben Taira, it's your obligation to be a soldier for the Taira. It's not enough just yourself to protect, not to encroach the mound. That's a given. But sometimes you have to actually, of course, with the right guidance, you can't be a Meshuggah, you can't do it in a wild way. But you have to sometimes make a Macha, you have to sometimes do the right thing and defend the covet of the Taira itself. Because you're the, you're the Gvul. If not for you, if not for people like B'nai Taira that are protecting the day of Yisrael, then who's going to protect them? Sometimes you're going to hear people 
I've heard it so many times in my life. You go to different shuls or different Shabbos tables, and you know people are saying terrible things about Chachmei Yisrael and knocking kailos and knocking learning and knocking this and that. Everyone has a day. Everybody has an opinion. Sometimes you have to. You don't have to make a huge, you know, splash. But you respectfully should say, "I'm sorry," but you're not saying what's right. What you're saying is wrong and explain your position. Explain that this is the Torah, this is the Chachmei Torah. We have a Kabbalah, we have a Messiah. And do it in the nicest way possible. But you, you're the Gvol. It's a very big responsibility that we have. There's not that many people out there, believe it or not, that is, that's serving as the Gvol around the Har. You know, we think, oh, there's so many thousands, tens of that's not true. There's so it's a miyuta de miyuta. How many people are really Taira that really get it, that really are sensitive, that feel the Taira Sugabat Shanim? Very few people in the world. But there are many, many people that want to crash the mountain. There are many people that have an axe to grind with the Taira and with the whole religion, and they're trying to to impose their day upon the Taira and cast the entire religion in negative light. And because of them, many people are themselves being magnetically drawn into that world of Astala, even today as we speak. And so throughout our lives, we have to try to remember that we're the devote, that the buck stops with us, that we have to be the defenders of the Torah. Can't leave it to anybody else. Sometimes we ourselves have to be the ones that are towing the party line, as it were, and saying it the way it is, and being very forceful in a very respectable, respectful way, but being sure to be very clear and very precise how the Torah is Kaidesh, and Kalanegea Bahar Mais Humus. People that are on the wrong side of history are going to be paid back. I once heard how do you know throughout history with all of the battles that were fought that were that were that, that took place, you know, between Askala and between Tyra, how do you know who won? How do we know today who won the battle? And the answer is that you walk around the base Madrash and you see the Svarim in the base Madrash. And you see who won the battle. The Maskilim, nobody's reading their Svarim today. There's no Maskil, to my knowledge, that has a following. If they have a following, it's like a rare, you know, maybe you go to some Yiddish, you know, uh, theater and there's like some guy sitting in the audience clapping. But like there's very, there's no one there. Haskala was a dying cause. There's nothing, nothing really there from those great Yiddish thinkers and those maskilim that were so devastating in those yeshivas. And all the other battles of the Shabsai Tzvi and all those people, if you go and you look around the walls of Arbeis Medrash or you go on every, any, any person that has a normal uh, Svarim collection at home, you see who won the battle. You see the Malbim. Malbim, we have every, every yeshiva in the world has a set of Malbim. You know the Malbim, the, the fights that the Malbim had to have, the Maskilim, how they, they tried to completely and they very effectively, you know, ruined the Malbim's life. The Malbim, in one of my svarim, I bring down a story about how, um, the Malbim, the Malbim was a rob in a city called Bucharest. 
in a beautiful shul. I have a picture of the shul. It's like a magnificent shul. And the Mal- they hated the Malbim because the Malbim, you know, was traditional. The Malbim was, uh, not only was he traditional, he also knew whatever they knew a thousand times better. Their whole claim to fame, the Haskalah movement, was like they were experts in diktuk. And the Malbim was one of the greatest Bali diktuk of all time. So they couldn't even, you know, wage anything against him. And they hated him. And eventually they snitched on him and the government and whatever. Eventually they, they drove him out of town in the dark of night like a thief. And the Malbim gave a final, like, a drusha, like he was a brilliant orator. And he gave a little impromptu drusha as he was going out of town to the Balabatim that were escorting him out that were on his side. And he said that, he says, I'll tell you one thing. He says, history will, will show that I was right. He says, those maskilim, they will have no zecher. Nobody will ever remember any of their names. But my name will live on in eternity. People will be talking and learning my Torah forever and ever. He was right. The right side of history is the Torah. To follow people that are kalim nishparim, these broken vessels that are just trying to impugn the Kavad Torah. if you are on their side, they're always going to be wrong. Never has history ever vindicated or validated any people that were fighting with the Messiah of, of Tyra itself. And Anayim, there are battles that are being waged till today. Battles of the new battles. I don't think conservatism is a threat in any which way to orthodoxy anymore. But there are new battles. There's open orthodoxy, which is the new threat, the new Haskalah of trying to, you know, make a, a new brand of, of orthodox jury, which is completely full of Haskalah and Minas and Kfira and things that are going against the very nature of our of our of our Messiah and all the G'dayel Yisrael as one are are unanimously opposed to this this movement and it's something that we have to understand ourselves that it's wrong and we have to be the G'vol and many other individual Mohammeds that are being waged we're not looking to wage wars but sometimes the wars come to us and for us and our yeshiva and our own families and our communities and Klal Yisrael, sometimes we're the devil. We are the boundaries that are separating the Har. We are the ones that have to make sure that the people around us know very clearly that there is a Taira and there's Kedusha Satira and there's Messira and there's Gedele Taira and there's Das Taira and we have to abide by their word whether we understand it or not. And that's our job, to be not only the receptacle of Tyra, not only to learn ourselves, but actually enforce these Yesaitis of Tyra and make sure that there's no encroachment, not on the Har and not on the Tyra itself. Have a wonderful chance.